Good Friday, everyone. Welcome to the mailbag edition of the VolQuest.com podcast with Rob Lewis, Jesse Simonton, and Austin Price. I'm Brent Hubbs. Glad to have you along with us. As always, our podcast brought to you by our good friends at Blue Water Climate Control. You can check them out online at bluewaterclimatecontrol.com. Tennessee, um, I won't say a quiet week, Austin, on the recruiting front, but it's been a little slower this week than it has been in the previous weeks. But um, some possibilities this weekend. Uh, let, let's start with the weekend and, and, and kind of um, what's, what's the outlook? Who, who's Tennessee – who should Tennessee fans be closely monitoring here? Maryland and okay. Texas? Yeah, I mean, Catron Evans said to do something on Saturday, um, and, and then Caden Salter and Aaron Willis said to do something on Sunday. So, uh, you know, Tennessee should have a, uh, a happy weekend. And, uh, you know, we'll see if anybody else uh, pulls the trigger at some point over the weekend. All right, let's let's just talk a little bit, Jesse, about big picture here. Kind of what what you look at, where ten, what Tennessee's got versus what they what they have needs for to finish finish here. Um, I mean, what what's what's next on the horizon for Tennessee? Another pass rusher, another offensive lineman or two? Well, I think right now, and AP would agree with this. I think right now they're just going to keep taking the best player available at most spots. Probably Sands running back. Um, you know, I. I you see some of these guys that they're recruiting, they're kind of recruiting some of these hybrid athletes that it's all right, they could play one spot, they could play another spot. Um, so there's some other guys that AP didn't mention that I think are kind of on Tennessee's radar. You know, fans can kind of read between the lines there that could play a couple of different positions. And those are guys that also I think could make decisions in May. Um, but they clearly need another offensive tackle or two. You got Colby Smith. Uh, obviously, Amaris Mims is kind of the, the, the white whale. Um, but that's going to be an uphill battle with uh, Georgia and Alabama there. So Dedrick Pennington, you know, in-state kid, top, top target there. William Griffin is another guy they're looking there. And then there's some other names. And I think AP would admit that uh, I think they still need some pass rushing help. I mean, Dylan Brooks is nice, um, but whether it's Jeremiah Williams or some other guys, uh, that's another thing. And then finally, you're going to have to sign some more defensive linemen. Now, whether, again, you move a guy or two that maybe – uh, could play multiple spots, and they play a defensive line, that would give you one number there. But you're set to lose seven guys off this 2020 roster on the defensive line. you got to reload there. Tennessee's going to look to add, uh, as you said, I think three more offensive linemen. I think in the perfect world, Dietrich Pennington and the artist formerly known as William Griffin, who now yeah, goes by William Parker. His last name's different, right? Yeah. William Parker um, yeah. would be the top two. You mentioned Mims. You're right. That one will be – I mean, even if Tennessee's deep into that one, it's still going to be a, a fight to the finish and pulling tooth – you know, pulling teeth trying to get him. The, the other one would be Diego Pounds, another North Carolina big mauler. Um, you know, that would be another target along the offensive line. As far as pass rusher, obviously Jeremiah Williams. But I'm going to tell you who Tennessee really, 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 I think, covets, and that's Travali Price. Now, the interesting uh, kind of thing there is Travali's got a – a brother who NC State has offered, who South Carolina has offered as a throw-in. Now, does the, the, do they make the decision without the brother in mind, or do they involve the brother in the decision? If that's the case, then I think it's going to be tough for Tennessee to land Trevally based off the fact that, you know, I don't think they're going to have room for a, for a token throw-in in this class. Um, but Tennessee, I think, covets him as much as they do anybody as a, as a pass rusher um, coming off the edge. 
obviously, uh, you know, the other defensive linemen you're talking about are Javari Ritzy, um, and and then of course uh, Tyreon Ingram Dawkins, who I, I've said for a while I think Tennessee's in a really good spot there. Long way to go, but uh, currently I think you know right there at the top of his list um, amongst a couple other different teams. But uh, Tennessee going to look to add those. And hey, listen, if 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 the right running back calls Tennessee, they're not going to turn the phone call away. I mean, because you never know. You know, does Jalen Wright get spooked by having three running backs in this class? I don't think he will, but I'm just saying you play devil's advocate here. You know, you know, Tyon uh, Evans, he's a junior college. I mean, you know, you just never know how things are going to play out. You have to continue to recruit other positions, even if you're full at them. All right, let which, me, let me... which is why, which is why, just to follow up. I mean, you know, Tennessee could circle back to a guy like Gooch on the offensive line. Sure they if could. he has a nice, if he has a nice senior season, um, you know, committed to Auburn over Tennessee. Uh, you know, a month or six weeks ago or so, but that's a guy that I think is still on the radar and Tennessee could up the heat there if they think, hey, this is a guy that we think profiles for what we're looking for in the O-line. Well, and Brent, let's talk about the two in-state kids that everybody loves to talk about on our board. Let's talk about Hudson Wolf and let's talk about Junior Colson. Both those guys at one point three weeks ago were likely trending away from Tennessee, but I think they've seen the run Tennessee's been on and it's, I think, upped their interest in Tennessee a good amount. Um, I, I've been told by multiple people that, that people around Hudson Wolf are, are pushing him to want to go to Tennessee. Um, you know, Junior Colson, I think, has really taken notice, heavy notice, but he still has the, the people around him that uh, are pushing that Michigan angle. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how things play out. I honestly think if Junior Colson commits in the month of May, it's going to be Tennessee. I think if he doesn't commit, I think it's because he's, he's, you know, pushing it back to try to win Tennessee over. With, with Not win like Jeremy Pruitt over, but like win people around him over towards to, Tennessee. To, towards Tennessee. All right, let me, let me ask this question before we get into some mailbag stuff here. Um, and some of, the, some of the mailbag questions we, we, you guys tackled in that a little bit. But, Rob, jump in here too. Over what Tennessee's got done the last two weeks – who do you like best? What do you like best that they've gotten done to, to this point? Now, knowing, knowing that there could be news this weekend, let, let's, let's not, not talking about the coming up weekend possibility, but of people who have publicly said they're in the boat, what do you like that they've gotten done? Who do you like? Maybe either one. J- jump on in there, anybody. I mean, I just, I mean athletically, speed. I mean, just, just playmakers is what, is what jumps, out to, jumps out to me the most. Just, you know, Cody Brown, how long has it been since Tennessee has, has had a guy that, you know, you, you really thought was a bell cow, you know, SEC running back like you see every year at, at Georgia, at Alabama, at LSU. I mean, I guess we all, you know, Ty Chandler coming out of high school was maybe kind of viewed as that guy, but I don't, I don't think he was a Cody Brown level recruit. I mean, Dylan Brooks, I mean, Lewis, I mean, Tennessee's not, I mean, they've not gotten these guys. Just, you know, playmakers, edge, edge rushers. And, I mean, to me, it just – athletically seems like a significant, significant upgrade for what's been going on in the last you know, four or five years. You know, Jesse, what, what I like, I mean, when I look at them as in terms of two individuals, I, I think the Evans kid's really good. I do. I, I, think, I think as a junior college running back, I, I, like, I like his game. I, I went back and watched his high school stuff and what he did there. I mean, I, I like what he does. And I think Colby Smith is a guy that had he had a spring and a summer, I think Colby Smith would have had two dozen more offers or a dozen more offers because of, because of the measurables that he's got there. I think those are two guys that 
are really good gets for Tennessee um, who maybe aren't the highest rated guys and Smith doesn't have to play right away. But when you talk about finding tackle bodies, I'm a, I'm a, the more I look at Colby Smith, the more I like that pickup for Tennessee. Where are you going, AP? I just want to interrupt real fast. I have to talk to our to our NC State rivals counterpart earlier this week, and he was raving about Colby Smith, and you know has seen him play a couple times as a junior, and this and and uh, was just emphatic that if we'd had a rivals camp season, that Colby Smith would have been a guy who just you know, skyrocketed up the rankings. Well, I think for Colby, I think the best thing going for him is Tennessee when he when he gets here. Tennessee's going to have all three tackles they currently have still on the roster, so he's going to be able to come in and develop which is what you really want out of your offensive linemen. You don't want to have to throw them tackles in there like you did last year with Wanya and Darnell unless it's, unless they are just the creme de la creme or you're just in an emergency situation. So, uh, you know, I just love that they've gotten some they've gotten some traction. You know, I mean, like, you know, it, it, whether – you know, it started with Dylan Brooks, but, you know, as I was told, Kamar Wilcoxon's the alpha, and he's been that. I mean, that guy is relentless out there. I mean, we've had some kids over the years – you know, um, that, you know, that have kind of been similar, um, you know, that, that kind of helped get things going in, in classes. But he's, he's got hit the ear of several big-time players. And I think that's probably the difference in him and other, you know, players over the years that have been kind of that lead recruiter that committed early enough to help build a class. Um, he's got the ear of several guys talking about, you know, the, the Arnold kid, the corner, uh, talking about Marius Mims. I mean, he's talked to Javari Ritzy. I mean, he, he is, he's, he's working at extremely hard. So I think the momentum and just having a guy that can go out there and, and, you know, be the little Caesars guy flipping the, you know, the signs saying, come here, come here. And, and he's a really good player with him. Yeah. I'm not, to me though, the, the easiest choice, I mean, these are all, I, I actually think if you just look at film, I actually think Rucker looks like a better player than Kamar Wilcoxon. <laughs> Uh, which is, you know, speaks to the sort of athlete that Tennessee got there. Um, but Terrence Lewis, now Tennessee's going to be in a dogfight to keep Terrence oh, yeah, Lewis in his easy. class. This is going to be one that's going to have all sorts of twists and turns yep. uh, over the coming months. Um, and that's just kind of the way it is with some South Florida kids, no matter, you know, when you land them. But Terrence Lewis, you know, Dylan Brooks, there's a lot of projection there. And I think that Brooks has as high as upside – as, as, as really many prospects in this class. But Terrence Lewis is a guy that when you hear, all right, he's being comped to Roquan Smith and Willie Gay because you, are, you already see it. Like the film's already there. On a state title team as a junior, you know, he was the alpha, you know, doing everything for them, never leaves the field, can play all four linebacker spots. He's kind of the quintessential guy uh, that Jeremy Pruitt's looking for that spot. He has a lot of Henry Toa Toa in his game in terms of instincts, uh, in terms of kind of just being such a, a natural tackler uh, for his age. Uh, but then when you add the upside, because I think he's a little quicker, um, I mean, Terrence Lewis is, is, is a dude. And so, again, I think Tennessee will have, a, have hit a real home run there if they're able to hold on to him. All right, let's get to the questions here. We'll start uh, first with Bassmaster Vault to you, Austin. Where does Tennessee stand with Smile Munden? Tennessee very much in that one. Georgia, uh, I, I, Georgia, 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 Auburn, Georgia, Auburn, and Tennessee. To me, the, you know, I think Georgia's got a little bit of a lead on the other two. Um, but, you know, where Tennessee was maybe two, three weeks ago has really, I think, picked up because of the players that they've added to this class that he's familiar with. Um, 
you know, uh, so I, 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 again, that one will be one that you'll have much like Amarius Mims. You'll have to pull, you know, pull teeth to land him. It's still, it's doable. And it, I was going to say, it's not only it's doable also because he's a kind of guy too, that the, the pandemic has kind of hurt his, you know, he wanted, he was really interested in Oklahoma, but then he can't go visit Oklahoma. Who knows when he's going to be able to actually go out to Oklahoma and so I think Tennessee's kind of slid into that spot with that momentum. And so that obviously, you know, being a, being a kid that's in that little circle radius of Knoxville gives them a chance. All right. Miller, Miller Boy 21 asked what, you know, I think it's a pretty simple answer, but then you think about it in a different way. He wants to know, has Tennessee taken a full 25 this cycle? My answer is yes, they will. But the caveat question I'll ask to that is, are coaches with the potential of the transfer rule out there the one-time transfer rule expected to pass at some point, either now in the month of May or in January, will we see coaches sign 23, 24, hold a spot for a transfer? I mean, I've advocated for that. It doesn't I, know, like- I know, Jesse, you think they will, but do you think coaches will consciously sit down when they look at recruiting this year and go, you know what, we're going to work off the number 23 or 24? I, I think that they'll – I think that they will, especially – uh, I think it depends on where you're at in your class, first of all. And then, two, if, if you're able to count them forward, I, I think that you, you potentially could end up counting somebody forward um, to, to make way for, you know, those potential transfers. The caveat, too, the caveat too could be if some of these coaches have insight that we don't have, which would be – Well, not only that, if some – no, knowing who's leaving and who's and who may want to come, and I, what I was also going to say is, hey, you know, it seems like this is going to get pushed back to January. They they could also know that it's going to be a, a a double thing where, hey, maybe the eighty five is laxed, or maybe that you know maybe you know, you know there's going to be another shoe to drop there. So you go ahead and take as many as you can now, and then you kind of see what the reverberations are coming out of whenever this ruling actually passes. You know, and I think, too, Brent, when you look at, you know, the the overall landscape of college football, I think it may be smart, you know, to um, be able to, to take a full class from a standpoint of what do you lose, what do you gain, uh, you know, over the course of, of a cycle. And you're going to see coaches, I think, really finishing second sometimes. It, 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 you know, sucks in recruiting. But I think finishing second won't be as bad anymore because of this one-time transfer rule. Kid goes to a school, don't like it. Who fin- who finished second for him? I think they automatically become a real factor if that kid was to want to transfer if he if he's not happy right away. I think I think you know finishing runner-up may not always be a bad thing. Don't burn any bridges. Yeah, that's true. correct. Oh, there you go. There you go. All right, Vol Farm D's got three questions. We'll start with you, Rob. Do uh, did Tennessee seriously look into Olivier Starr from Wake Forest? Kid seems to be like a solid player. No, not really. And just I posted this on the board. Tennessee's not an attractive option for a front court player that's looking to transfer and get immediate, immediately eligible. They're going to bring back a, a guy that made second team all conference at his position in Fulkerson Ponds. You know, I, I think he, everybody I talked to think he's coming back. So in, nobody wants to transfer, get immediate, immediately eligible, and then, you know, pretty much not be a, a guaranteed starter. And I think, you know, Kentucky, much better fit for him. All right. Anything- I think just about everybody thought. He, that was going to happen. I mean, yeah, that was probably already done before he went into the portal. He was heading to Kentucky. I'd say every, most everybody probably already had that figured out. Um, any update on Ty Simpson? I don't have anything new other than Tennessee seems to be 
continuing to trend pretty pretty favorably there, but I don't think he's in a, a big hurry to make a decision. Agreed? Agreed. I, I, I think he does something probably sometime this fall. I, I don't I do not think the calendar turns to twenty twenty one and he is still on the board. Okay. And final question from Vol Farm. If Jalen Wright had more exposure, would he be the highest rated running back? Jesse, I'm gonna say no. I'm gonna say because no of, just because of size. No, I agree with that. I do think, though, he would be ranked higher than, than what he is. I'd agree with that, but I don't think he would be the highest ranked back. On, on... No, I mean, Cody's ranked 69th in the country. Exactly. All right. Uh, big here's, the thing, here's the reality with these rankings. Everybody thinks that – I mean, I, and this, is, this goes not just for Tennessee, but everybody and every fan of everybody recruiting class thinks that everybody's underrated and everybody deserves a bump. But there comes there's – there's a give and take with that. Somebody gets slotted up, somebody gets slotted down. So I think Tennessee absolutely has some guys that are underrated. But to expect that all 12 of these three stars are going to get, you know, bumps to four stars, I think it's just unrealistic. Well, that – and I, the other thing, too, is, is everybody just looks at whoever has the kid ranked higher. So like Hudson Wolf, everybody looks at the rivals ranking because he's ranked 40th nationally. Whereas, you know, he's not ranked near that in the other two. But then with the other recruits, they look at, you know, where 24-7 has them ranked or ESPN has them ranked. So, I mean, they, they cherry pick whatever's convenient to have the best star ranking. I just look again. Stars are great. Don't get me wrong. I, I fully get it. But who did Tennessee beat them out for? Did they beat them out for Georgia Tech? Or did they beat them out for Alabama and Auburn or LSU? I mean, that, to me, that's, that, that's the, the signifi- signifying point of what Tennessee is getting a really good player. I mean, they're murkier than ever this year just because of no camp season. Yep. I mean, you've not seen how kids develop you know, from their their junior – you know, going into their junior year, going into their senior year. I mean, it's – It's even – well, there's no verifiable track time – you know, very few verifiable track times, uh, verifiable, you know, height and weights and all that kind of stuff. I mean, that's – there's a lot of projection, which is why teams are, are trying to fill up as much as they can right now and why I do think – it will not be a surprise, and this is not saying this is going to happen to Tennessee, even though they're having this great momentum right now. But I do think when you look at the, the raw numbers of commits that have happened compared to the last couple of years, which is essentially double where it was just a year ago at this point of time in the calendar, you would want, one would expect there's going to be a lot more decommitments and movement once this thing opens back up and kids are potentially allowed to visit schools. Well, I think it's going to be the wild, wild west. Oh, I think it's, yeah. I mean, I think it's going to be crazy, you know, because, and the other thing kids are going to have to get used to, too, when it opens back up. Right now, they're, you know, they're, they're having 30 minute conversations with coaches every day if they want to, to pass, you know, to pass their day. Well, when, when, you know, when life gets back going for the kids and for the college coaches, how, how they're recruited is going to feel different because it might end up being you get a text message that morning, hey, have a great day because there's no time to have the 30-minute conversation or the 40-minute conversation that you've had every day for the last three weeks with, with a couple of particular coaches that you've gotten to know. So there, there's going to be a lot of changes and, 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 and a lot of movement, as you guys suggest, for sure. Big Orange Crush wants to know, if the team reports to campus in either June or early July, do you think Jeremy Banks will report with this team? Yes. I do. I mean, I think that he's going to be back part of this team. As long I, do as too. The, I, I as don't long know as, if it'll as as long as campus clears it, Brent, I expect him to be part of this team. Which which again, when you're looking at Tennessee's over, that doesn't count him. So that means that, that means to get him back, they've got to lose too. one more player. What's that? 
I said, I noted, yeah, I noted that as much in, in my roster management piece that everyone's counting these things. That that's a number that I think people in the building are counting as coming back. So there's got to yep. be some attrition on the backside. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Galilee wants to know, would it be possible to have students on campus daily and not attend football games? Look, I, I don't think anybody knows any of this. We've got, you know, Ray Tanner from South Carolina has come out and said there'll be social distancing at Williams-Brice Stadium if they're playing football there. Uh, what that looks like, we don't know. We saw the Miami Dolphins come out and say, you know, they're going to limit that to 15,000 people to come in the stands there. I, I just think right now nobody really, nobody really knows what this thing's going to look like in August, September, October. When it starts, how many people are going to get to come, all of those things. And I know everybody wants an answer right now, but the fact of the matter is that the, the solid answer, the, uh, Rob, the most accurate answer remains, I don't know. Because nobody knows right now. Yeah, I agree. But also, I mean, there's a there's a vast difference in having kids on campus and having 102,000 people in a football stadium sitting shoulder to shoulder. You know, I mean, that's those are, that's not the same thing in my mind. Well, and then you have things that you know you have to talk. You have to think about how you're going to handle tailgating. You know, I mean, people. You know, I, there's just there's so many levels of so many things that have to be discussed and have to be talked about. And you're exactly right putting 102,000 or 98,000 people in one enclosed or one setting versus having, you know, 50 or 60 people in a classroom is, is different. Um, but again, I think right now how it all looks, I don't think anybody has any idea of, of what that is going to look like and what the guidelines are going to be. And I think anybody putting those out right now is speculation. I'm not saying it's wrong what the Dolphins did. Because what they did is they signified to their fans, hey, we have a plan because we're going to play football this fall. Okay, so I see that narrative that they're going with there. But I think what they put out is obviously very subject to change. I think anything that's put out right now about the fall is very subject to change. Let's go to Stephen Godfrey here. He wants to know, given that this year will be JG's first year with the same offensive coordinator in back-to-back years, do you think this will allow him to play more freely as opposed to almost overthinking when and where he goes with the ball. It seems as if he's been under the gun with someone right in his face, um, or it seems as when he's been under the gun with someone right in his face, it's when he's completed some of his best and most accurate passes because he doesn't have time to think, he just acts. How much can JG in year two under the same coordinator, I mean, what's realistic to think that, that he can make an improvement there? Because we all thought, you know, the, the quarterback whisperer, Jim Chaney, was going to fix it all last year. And as we saw that it, that it didn't, what's, is there a big advantage to year two considering JG's not been around Jim Cheney since March? I think in the, I think in the building, the notion is there is, there's considerable hope that having the same coordinator and same quarterbacks coach in back-to-back years for the first time in his career is going to pay, pay huge dividends this fall, but nobody really knows. I mean, you, you don't know. And he brings up a great point about, you know, having to make quick decisions and just reacting instead of trying to sit back and, and overthink things. Um, you know, I, I just, I just don't think, you know, it much like the whole fall and the outlook, you know, nobody knows about that. I don't think anybody knows about JG. He could come out and ha- I'm not gonna say he's having a Joe Burrow type jump, but he could come out and have a nice jump or he could be the same guy that we've seen for the last several years. Nobody knows. Yeah. Well, the other thing, the other thing is too. I'm, I've said this before. JG could make a leap this year, and statistically, now let's say minus the interceptions, but statistically, it may not even look that much different than a year ago because he's not going to have as much help at receiver. 
And that's just kind of the give and take of all this. Joe Burrow had the greatest season a college quarterbacks ever had uh, because he was able to make the anticipatory throws. He was able to throw guys into space, but he was also working with a couple first rounders at wide receiver, a first round running back, you know, and an, a team that had 14, 13 other guys get drafted. I mean, it, it takes kind of everything around these quarterbacks to really lift them up and look as good as they are. Well, and I think, too, a lot of people, there's a question on here. I'm not going to go through all the, the whole question, but th- th- there's a question in here from Arberger who wants to who's, – who's making a point that um, that it, it's one of those things where, yes, Tennessee's losing size at the receiver and experience, but he's pointing out the speed that they're going to have when you talk about Palmer and Keaton and Gibbs and Tillman and, and all of that type of stuff. But the fact of the matter is, Rob – Marquez Callaway and Juwan Jennings bailed out Tennessee's quarterbacks, particularly, um, pr- particularly JG by catching the jump ball or the ball that was behind them or the ball that was high. I mean, they made a lot of they made a lot of catches that way to to help out an inaccurate quarterback. Now, yeah, can these it, other guys do that? And well, to Jesse's point about you know his stat, you know maybe he, he can improve and his stats not be as good. I, where I would look for improvement, where I think Jared can make improvement, and I don't think it's unrealistic, is just, you know, making the layups, you know, hitting the guy in, in the flat. I mean, how many times you, did we see him throw a little swing pass low or behind a guy or, you know, just sling one, you know, five feet over somebody's head on a, on a five-yard out? Those are, the, those are the things that I would – that I think that he can get better at, with, you know, with repetition, with just, you know, getting more comfortable in the system. But I'm – not talking about him making a Joe Burrow like leap. I'm just talking about him being more efficient. I think that's realistic. You know what? Jesse's right. The stats may be similar, but technically, Tennessee could end up scoring more points. You go back to what the game we just reviewed this past week. If he hits a so called, what was it? was a layup throw on the double move to Juwan in Alabama. Yeah. You make those throws, the throw to DWA at Florida. You make those type of throws and, and, and complete them when the guys have their, have their men beat, then all of a sudden, you know, that changes the landscape of drives, which changes the landscape of games. You know, I, I think those type of plays, you don't have to necessarily have as many, you know, yards passing, but if you can make those type of plays, then I think Tennessee scoring drives can be more plentiful this fall. All right. Austin, are you still riding with the over of three and a half uh, commits between now and Monday? Are you taking the yes. under? You're taking the I'm over, taking the over. And a half? I mean, Yeah, I mean, you know, I mean – I don't think it's any secret. I mean, the kids have been crystal balled by everybody under the earth or forecast by, every under the, by everybody under the earth over the weekend. So, I mean, it's only got to get one more, right? So, All right. you know. All right. Show them in the water. Long-term question. Do you think we will look back on this weird offseason and see that it really affected a lot of kids' growth by not having a true offseason in the conditioning and practice program? Seems like it could really mess up with some kids trying to take the next step. Do you think this offseason is basically going to be a wash? It won't have a major impact on the development of kids, or it will have a major impact on development of kids? I think it'll have, a, I think it'll have an impact uh, for sure. Um, I think it's going to have a real impact in basketball because I think the basketball coaches get the time in the summertime to develop players with some one-on-one stuff that you don't get to do in football. Uh, but I don't think there's any question that a kid would be more developed physically if he had spent all of spring and was going to spend the entire summer with a strength and conditioning coach. I don't don't care what gym you're going to, there's no way you're working out at Planet Fitness at the same rate you're going to work out in a group setting with your football team and a strength coach screaming at you all the time, 
right? That's a hundred percent correct. Yeah, and I and I had a basketball coach, you know, point this out to me. It's really, and and this is going to be true in both sports, but you're you're really going to see, you know, what kids have have self discipline or self motivated when they get back on who's gotten better. I mean, I, 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 that's which made a lot of sense to me. Um, Goval's twenty one. Prince Collie is it Collie? Yeah. Prince Collie stock continues to rise. Where's he at on Tennessee's board? Um, I think he's still down, down, down the board a little bit. I mean, just looking at Tennessee's numbers, looking where they're at with certain linebackers, um, you know, or or athletes. Um, I still think he's down the list. I mean, do the math. I mean, if you add Aaron Willis this weekend, if Tennessee lands Willis, which is the hope, I mean, there's Junior Colson, there's Smile Munden. Yeah. Jeremiah Williams. Yeah, a lot of guys there. All right, let's get Ravali Price. But Collie's a good player. There's a lot of there's a lot of big programs that are on him. Yep, and uh, I think that's another guy. Had he had summer camps, his stock would even be would be even higher out there because not a you lot know, of people I, have seen him. I'll make this point before we before we move on. Is it, it, to my question is is Prince Collie like the kid from Greenback a year ago who got Oklahoma and LSU and Florida and those schools? But at the end of the day, he went to Virginia Tech. So I mean, like you know, do, do, you know, are they just kind of throwing those offers out there? Or are they that's legitimate true. heat? Yeah, I mean that, that's that's certainly a possibility uh, as uh, um, no, no question there. All right, Iron Vol here. You guys have been consistent in saying the recruiting success has had a lot to do with two plus years of relationship building. Osvet and Graham obviously seem to be major upgrades so far, and Feldon seems promising. How much do you contribute recruiting success to staff changes? As staff continuity happens, where could you see uh, this staff taking us in regards to recruiting? from just an effort and a relation standpoint uh, with all other factors notwithstanding. How much better is the staff in recruiting? It's infinitely better. One, from a drive standpoint, from being hungry recruiters, and two, from a relationship standpoint. Listen, you know, some of the guys that were here before, they didn't need the relationships in those states. They already had, I mean, Jeremy, whoever, T, they all had relationships in Alabama. You know, Derek coached there, Jeremy coached there, played there, Will played there, T's from Alabama. You didn't need those extra relationships there. What Osavet's being able to do up in the DMV, up into New Jersey, with Taiwan Malone, which is a, who's a Bergen Catholic, those type of players, that's a huge upgrade. And then Jay's natural history, and not only Virginia, but obviously his home state of North Carolina pays huge dividends for Tennessee, which is why you've seen them win recruiting battles uh, in, in that state. All right, last question here, Rob. This is for you. Who do you think will be the starting five in hoops this year, and how deep do you think the bench will be once we get into SEC play? Uh, I mean, I pencil pods and focusing in. I've got a real hard time not seeing Keon and, and Jaden starting, and then I think it's an absolute dogfight between Victor Bailey, Viscovi, and Josiah for who's going to be you know the primary ball handler. Wow. And uh, I, th- I think they'll be deep. Um, I mean, Corey Walker. I mean, whoever. I mean, we're already talking about seven deep when you're talking about, you know, the three guys I just mentioned. Two guys are going to be quality backups in the backcourt. Corey Walker, I, I think, is going to be a real quality option off the bench, and and I think it's going to be a fight. But for for um, Olivier and Euros um, to to get you know significant minutes. All right, Jesse. This is the last one. Four two three volunteer wants to know. Um, which way this this waiver vote on transfers is going to go in May? You think it's going to be tabled? And, and, I think and, it passes, but I think they table the final resolution for January. Which means 
JT Daniels would have to win an appeal. Cade Mays would have to win an appeal. Yes. Which is significant for Tennessee. Now, Mays obviously has been preparing for an appeal, but that could drastically change the interest level that people have in JT Daniels because what's his basis for an appeal at this point in time, right? Yeah, that he's not the current starting quarterback at Southern California. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know that that's uh, – I don't know how great of an appeal that is. But, we look, we, we've Work seen some other quarterbacks. Yeah, Justin Fields wanted an appeal, and Tate Martell wanted an appeal as well. It didn't make a lot of sense. Here's the thing. If it passes, though, I just have a tough time seeing them not rubber stamp everybody because I think you're going to have a serious, serious lawsuit on your hands for kids that go, now that's not right. You know, six months from now, Tom, Dick, and Harry can move on to wherever, and it's not a big deal. But, you know, this happened, and, and I mean, I, I think unless – if you've got any kind of a case at all, I think they're rubber stamping you. Maybe, like, you know, just because you want to play somewhere else, that doesn't get approved. Anybody that's got a leg, even the least little bit of a legitimate case, to me, he's getting rubber stamped. Well, I think the bigger – the other question, too, is what's, what's realistic in terms of what the NCAA can process? Because they have – it's clear they've not been working on any of these. Nobody's announced that, hey, I've been granted my immediate eligibility for an appeal. I mean, everything has kind of been shut down on the appeals process. So you've got hundreds of transfer cases we out there. We had the there. kid go from A&M to FSU that got a uh, – Corbin, J. Sean Corbin got, you know, uh, granted eligibility. Okay, there's one of, of hundreds that are out no, there. No, no, I know. So, I'm just saying there's I at mean, least something. How, how quickly can you get through all the appeals process for everybody that's got an appeal out there? Because they're not exactly the most efficient moving group or committee uh, at the NCAA. So something to keep an eye on as to whether or not they vote on that and pass it, make it immediate, or they do table it to January. As Jesse said, uh, a lot of people believe that's going to be the case. So we'll see. Hey, in East Tennessee, you need a reliable heating and air system designed for your home and our climate. You need a team that's trained and held to the highest standards. You need solutions, not sales pitches. There are a number of heating and air companies out there. The only name you need to know is Blue Water Climate Control. Family-operated, veteran-owned. Jeremy and his staff do a great job there. When you need a new system or major repair, Blue Water isn't going to send out a salesperson. They're going to send out an expert to your home, an expert that's going to tell you what you need and can lay out all of your options to you, whether it's replacing your existing system or getting a new system. Whatever you need, they're going to lay that out for you. They have special financing. They have same as cash, even rent to own. For all the details on your heating and air needs, call Blue Water Climate Control at 865-299-2290 or visit them at bluewaterclimatecontrol.com to make an appointment. Blue Water is an authorized dealer for American Standard Heating and Air Conditioning. For Jesse Simonton, Rob Lewis, and Austin Price, I'm Brent Hubs. Don't forget to stay locked in to VolQuest all weekend long for the very latest in recruiting, but that's going to do it for this mailbag edition of the VolQuest.com podcast. Thanks for joining us, and have a great weekend, everybody.